Hey, it's Chris Velarde. Glad you found the Cuse Conversations podcast. Our guest today, Katie Zafrin, a 2004 grad with a BFA in musical theater from VPA. And her audition story, it's a good one. So I remember I auditioned across the country for a number of programs. Syracuse was my first audition. And it was the one, it ended up being the standard that I held every other program up to. Um, and I remember so clearly, I was, I was singing my song and the auditor who was later one of my professors um, got up from behind the table and started acting with me. What happens next? You'll have to listen to the conversation. She'll finish the story for you. We cover a lot of ground in this Q's conversation, including Katie's time at SU, her new venture as an instructor with Greenhouse Music, which is an online conservatory. She's teaching a class called The Whole Musician. We also dive deep into the importance of dealing with anxiety and mental health. But we're going to start with the challenges of the last year when you're a performer in a world without performances. So how are you doing? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. And uh, I'll be honest, I think I might be doing a little better than some. Um, I wouldn't have said that a year ago. But I uh, actually gave birth about two weeks into lockdown. So certainly at the time, I would not have said, oh, this is beneficial. Um, but now I was never planning to take a year off of work. Um, and I didn't have to really take a year off of work because the industry took this year off of work. Right. And I ended up getting a whole year with my new daughter that um, I probably wouldn't have had in such an, an intense and intimate way. So it's been a, she's been an amazing silver lining. That really is such an important way to look at whatever your experience has been over the last year plus um, is, is to try to find those silver linings and to try to say, you know, this is something I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do under whatever normal is, but normal circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I won't sugarcoat it. It was really hard. Um, I wasn't allowed to have a lot of the um, support that I was expecting and planning to have for my birth, um, including support afterwards. I think the first person beside, well, there's a pediatrician, but besides my husband and I, my mother was the first person to hold my daughter and that was when she was two months old. Wow. So, um, and plenty of other people have, you know, harder stories and different stories. It was, um, it was incredibly difficult. Um, but now I really feel like after this, this whole incubation time, um, I really feel like it's just been, it's been a, a blessing on all sides. Yeah. It's, it's good to be able to be in that, in that position absolutely. and have that mindset at this point. But the reality is you work in a field that absolutely was shut down, had to be shut down. Um, as a performer, as somebody who, who, um, you know, kind of in many ways makes a living by going in front of audiences and, and, and doing something. Um, I, I mean, it seems like an obvious question, but, but how did that affect you not being able to do that? Mm. What can I say? Um, <laughs> it's been really hard. And I, it, even now I, I feel ready I'm really ready now to get back to work. You know, if I wasn't, whatever I could say six months ago, okay, I'm still here. Now I'm, I'm really itching and things are, you know, the door's just starting to sort of peep open. Um, and that's, I think it's, it's a reckoning of sorts um, in a way, because 
there are many ways that it feels like our society already sort of devalues or downplays the role of the artist in society. You know, we certainly don't fund artists the way that countries like Ireland or Germany do. Um, so then, and this is of course, a, there's a, it's a very complex issue um, and a pandemic is different than governmental policy, but, um, but it, it sort of plays into that sense of, okay, well, sports is reopening, restaurants are reopening, we're doing all these things to reopen all these industries um, and steps are being taken certainly um, to reopen Broadway and they've made announcements about that, but it, um, it's been slow going, you know, when film is, is open in a way that theater is not. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. Yeah. And one of the things that I've heard along those lines is, you know, yeah, it, it isn't the only industry, but one of the things that the pandemic has done is it has absolutely shown a spotlight on some areas where huh, maybe we didn't quite have it right before, you know, absolutely. I think this one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's, that's very true that um, shining, shining a spotlight, I think is a really great way to put it. And I'm hoping and not just and not just for the theater analogy, but <laughs> yes, of course. I'm hopeful though that that now that the lights are on, it's the kind of thing you know as we're seeing again across society in you know many different ways. Um, how do we move forward from here? It's like people saying, "Oh, we're going to go back to normal." I don't think we'll ever go back to normal um, after this time. There has to be a new normal, and so what does that look like? And hopefully, we all get to created in the image that we want. Yeah, one of the things that certainly um, I noticed about watching many of the folks who are our performers um, do is that idea of kind of figuring out how to do what I do, but in a different way, um, using a different venue, platform, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and just kind of somewhat reinventing yourself. Um, did you find yourself doing that uh, along the way? Um, well, you know, for my past year, again, I've been largely in the nursery. So I'll just say my husband is a classical singer. We've, we've done a lot of harmonizing of lullabies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, you know, I've made up whole albums of music based on my daughter. Um, so I know that's not what you're asking, but uh, I feel like that's, well, I, that's been the primary way that I've reinvented myself this year. Absolutely. Well, I think about I think about a fellow Syracuse alum uh, alumna in, in Patty Murin and and hearing you know kind of how she and her husband, who's who's also a performer, Colin Donnell, have done many of the same things because they have a, a young child and you know and I've seen them do a few concerts uh, online together and those kinds of things. And I you know I think certainly whatever it is you're doing um, has to be fit around the fact that you've also got a very small human being in your life. Yes, in fact, I'm just starting to rehearse for a potential concert this summer. And I was emailing my pianist and I was saying, she said, can you meet in the evening? I said, well, no, it's after bedtime. I don't like to make a lot of noise. And she said, well, can you meet at noon? I said, well, no, that's her nap time. And I finally just said, look, my whole life is her schedule. You know, I don't really have my own schedule, but that's like, that's these few years, right? It's these early years. And then well, you know, things open up a little bit. Right? I, Tell me parent, I was a parent of teenagers. I'm, I'm not sure. It's, <laughs> it's just different. Um, <laughs> Obviously music is important in your life. I, I mean, it's what you do, it's, it's what your husband does. It's at, at this rate, what, you, what your child will do because <laughs> if she's being sung to every night. But um, if, if, I, if I ask you where that came from, are you able to identify for you, you know, pinpoint mm -hmm. ways that, that led you in that direction? 
when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind is um, falling asleep to the sound of my mother practicing hymns on the piano and um, my dad playing guitar. And we had this silly family band when I was five years old. So it's, it's in my blood. I don't think I could say, you know, when I chose it, um, it, it kind of chose me. I've been singing and dancing and running around the house, making stuff up since I can remember. And, and it was always like, there's really no other option. And people used to say, remember people would ask all the time or say, you know, give this advice to young performers that if you could do anything else, you should because it's so such a hard career. And I, I used to really balk at that. And I, you know, I'm, an, I'm a smart girl and I would say, well, I could do plenty of other things. Um, but I finally have sort of come to this piece with it is that sure I could have done many other things and I have, I've had, I've had to, you know, we have survival jobs and things but it's, it's truly the only thing that makes me feel um, alive and that makes me feel like me, like the me that I'm here to be. Yeah, that, and that's, it, that's a consistent thread among people who do it because it is so hard. There has to be that it's in your blood, you're born with it. It, it is the thing that drives you, it is the passion um, because otherwise you get knocked down once or twice and you're like, I'm done, I'm out, I'm going to do something else. Right. Yeah, what is the thing that keeps you getting back up again? Yeah, and it's gotta be something like that. Um, so as you were a youngster singing with your family and, and kind of feeling like this is this is all I know, this is what I know, this is what drives me, this is, this is my passion. Um, what led you ultimately to, to find Syracuse University? Mm. Well, I mean, high school, it was, it was also all I did. I went to a very arts-driven high school. Um, and I remember, I remember one, one day being called, called down because I hadn't gone to school, but I had gone to rehearsal the day before. I had, I had called in sick, but then I showed up after school for rehearsal. Of course, that's not allowed. You have to go to school to do the extracurricular. Yeah. Um, so, but I was already, that was just already where I was headed. And so I remember I auditioned across the country for a number of programs. Syracuse was my first audition. And it was the one, it ended up being the standard that I held every other program up to. Um, and I remember so clearly I was, I was singing my song and the auditor who was later one of my professors um, got up from behind the table and started acting with me. And <laughs> he would like walked out of the room as though he was the lover that I was singing to and fighting with. And out of me, I, I like grabbed him by the arm and turned him around and was singing to him. And this passion came out of me that was of course like totally fitting for the song, but not anything, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm here doing this college audition. And I was probably so nervous and stock still, you know in the middle of the room and he brought all this life and energy out of me. And I, you know, I was, I thought, oh my gosh, I, you know, I, I tore the teacher's coat off and I was so like flushed afterwards. But I remember thinking later that was his way of seeing what, what was really inside of me. Yeah. And I, you know, it certainly didn't happen at any other audition. And it, it also showed me the way that they were prepared to work with people right. and not just to go with what was on face level, but to, to really work with potential. Wow. Uh, and it ended up being a, a prescient moment. I mean, you, you make a, a choice like that and either, you know, you're getting in or you're getting charged with assault. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it was the former. <laughs> Luckily, exactly, exactly. And, and and when you think back on your your 
your time at Syracuse. What is it about that experience and about the, the education you got, the experience being uh, in central New York and, and being a part of, of that program and, and the larger university community? What, what, take, what is your takeaway now? Mm, I think, I think Syracuse was the perfect place for me at the time in my life. Um, I, coming from the Midwest, I grew up outside Milwaukee and um, I was shy. I still am fairly shy. And I, uh, I don't think I could have moved to New York um, straight out of high school. I couldn't have gone to NYU, for instance, or Fordham. Um, and so Syracuse to me was like, this perfect blend being upstate was like sort of half Midwestern, half East Coast. And I could kind of slowly acclimate myself over those four years to what it would be like to, to actually live in New York and make a career in New York. Um, and I just, I still remember, I don't, this isn't exactly answering your question, but um, when we got our dorm assignments, mm -hmm. my freshman year dorm room number was the same as my birthday. And I remember my mom and I looked at each other and we said, oh, it's a good sign. And it, <laughs> um, it just, it really was the right place for me at that time. And that I could be in the theater, totally immersed in the theater, and then also have the rest of campus life. Um, and the study abroad program that we had in London at Shakespeare's Globe, we had our own faculty that traveled with us. So there was like a safety to, you know, we knew these people who were coming with us. And um, it really just, it was the perfect place for me. Wow. Yeah. What, what was that freshman dorm? Lawrenson. Lawrenson. Okay. So you had a nice view too, maybe if you Best were. view. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's, that's a good spot. That's a good spot. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of your, um, you know, your, your time, what, what performance, what, what show, what thing um, do you remember most? What, what is kind of like your little, this is, this is the one that, that really would bring me back. Is there a song? Yeah now or a, a show that you know that you see that you think oh I remember like that takes me back to Syracuse mm, yeah 12th night yeah. I did that my senior year um and I got to play Olivia and I really hadn't done Shakespeare prior to that um <laughs> I was a musical theater major and was you know navigating my way through that program but then um well I'd, I'd studied in London and we had done the, the Shakespeare's Globe program um, but we had these incredible teachers who had come um, from Shakespeare and Company, and they they had been through that training there, that professional training, and they they brought this this very pragmatic professional um, atmosphere to to the classical acting program, and I just fell in love with it. And you know, Shakespeare verse is like it's the next thing to singing to me. They're they're so linked. You know that that verse is the way we speak when when we can't just speak in prose anymore, when we're so full of emotion, we have to speak in verse. It's, it's speaking directly from the heart, the heartbeat of the verse. And that's the same thing in a musical. When a character is too full of emotion to speak anymore, then we sing. So right. they're exactly the same. And so I, to me, it just, I found a home in it. And um, the production of Twelfth Night was really uh, the culmination, I think, of my time there. It, it, it's, it may be equivalent to singing, but it is such a challenge for an actor to do well, to, to be able to, to deliver Shakespeare lines and have the audience who may or may not be, you know, somewhat well-versed in Shakespeare to say, oh, I get this. Because if it's not done well, 
it's uh, it's just a lot of very English sounding words, that, right? That just kind of rattle around the brain of the audience. Totally, and I think that's actually that's actually what um, what the, our professors were 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 speaking through us and were getting across to us was that if you are emotionally honest enough with what you're saying, if you know what you're saying as the actor, and if you are emotionally honest enough to be vulnerable and allow the, the heart of the piece to speak through you, the audience doesn't have to understand every word. They will get the play because you get the play and you get what you're saying and you are imparting it that the, you know, almost the vibration of it, it's, again, it's very musical, yeah. um, will, come, will come across. And I really found that to be true that our audiences were, they were right with us, whether they knew every single word or not. And it's hard in that play, you know, the comedies are difficult because it's, sure. it's topical. He has all that topical stuff that nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And and obviously it made an impression because you, it, it was not the last time you did Shakespeare in, in no. doing Twelfth Night, right? You have continued to, to do that um, at a professional level as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's again, it's, they're, they're like twins to me. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because a lot of people will take that I am a I'm an actor and I'm going to take kind of that route, or I'm a musical theater person and I'm going to take that route. You found a way to to really kind of straddle those and just keep 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 them both in your in your life. I, I guess that says something about you know how much you like doing both of them. It does, and I I think there are a lot of actors that see there is a there's a sort of middle way path where people can you know have one foot in both. Um, I also feel like there was a time that I had I had sort of abandoned music, and it was actually at Shakespeare and Company I heard um, Bill Barclay, who went on to become uh, music director of Shakespeare's Globe, um, gave a talk about the music of the spheres and music in Shakespeare, and I sat in the back crying because. I had, it had been so long since I had sung. And then there was the time when I went and didn't do a play for a few years because I was helping to found um, a chamber choir that is now in its 13th season and award-winning and um, that I've since left. But so I feel like my whole career has sort of been navigating through one or the other and and um, concert world and the theater world and the musical theater world. And um, to me, I think, well, all all roads lead to Rome, hopefully, and we're um, it's just different ways to say to say what we want to say and express yeah. what we express. And if you're enjoying it and and feeling the reward of doing it, then then why not do yeah. do things? Is there something in particular that you, as we emerge from from this kind of fog of the of the last year plus, is there something that you really would like to do next? Hmm. Well, I have a show that um, that I wrote after uh, after I got married, which um, I like to joke that when my husband proposed was the worst moment of my life um, because it uh, it actually woke does up. Does he like that joke? How does he? Feel <laughs> well, getting married was the best thing I ever did, but um, <laughs> the road between those two things ended up being the it was the hardest year of my life. And it woke me up to uh, my anxiety in a way that I had never, I never experienced. I can see now I look back and I think, oh, that was anxiety. Oh, that was anxiety. Actually, right before we started speaking today, I suddenly remembered this moment, this time in college when a, a famous Broadway composer was coming to do uh, VPA 
And um, I was chosen to perform for him. He was gonna do basically a masterclass. And I was sick beforehand and I had to call out because I had gotten sick and I look now I think, oh my God, I was just so nervous. That was my body's manifesting my nerves and I had no concept of how to deal with it. But anyway, my, um, I was really woken up to my anxiety because I, you know, my husband's down on one knee and I was ready to vomit basically. And I thought, you know, well, he's my best friend. How could I say no, but how could I say yes? I absolutely can't do this. And, and I, you know, but no one's, not many people are prepared to talk about that in our culture. People used, oh, doubt means don't, and he must not be the right one. And, and so I was faced with that, but I, I kind of knew that he was. And so I, I was just grappling with this all year. Um, and he knew, he knew, I mean, we lived together. It was impossible for him to not know, but a producer called me up at some point in that year. And he said, um, you know, I'm looking for, for people who have like an evening of songs, uh, to come up this summer and, and, uh, to the theater, do you have something? And, you know, when you're an actor, if a producer calls and says, do you have something? You just say, yes. It doesn't so, matter. <laughs> you don't have something, you'll get something. You'll exactly. make it. I said, oh yeah, yeah, I have an evening. And so I started like, and what, what was on my mind was getting married. So I started pulling together songs into a cabaret that were me grappling with getting married. So it was these silly things like, uh, let's call the whole thing off. And um, but then Sondheim songs and, you know, things from company about what is it to be married and what is it to be single? And I was really just working this out for myself. And, and that producer is, who's, um, something of, I wouldn't call him a confirmed bachelor, but, uh, he's, he's not exactly a warm, fuzzy guy about love. You know, he came to me afterwards and he said, oh, you have to tell all the stories. I want to know how he proposed. I want to know, I want, you know, I, I need to know all that. And, and so I started developing it into this show and, um, and after, you know, over, we got married and then I continued to perform it. And, and a woman once said to me afterwards, um, you know, I've been engaged for three years and watching your show did more for me than all those years of therapy. Wow. That's powerful. And I thought, well, then I need to keep doing it. And, um, yeah, I, I tell, I just tell the whole story about, I've just, times I would be lying, you know, I'd wake up every morning at four o'clock going, I have to leave this guy. And, and then I would, you know, wake up in the morning and there he'd be. And I go, oh, how could I leave this guy? You know? Um, but anyway, just all of that about things that are difficult to talk about, I think in, in our just day-to-day -day lives, most people, they would see me on the train with the engagement ring and they just want, oh, are you so happy? Oh, it's so exciting. And that's a side of things, but there's, right. there's another side of things. And anyway, so that's still in me. And um, I, I'm, it's, it hasn't left and maybe there's an act two about a baby. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Well, and it really does seem like this would be the time. This is the space for something like that. I mean, again, shining a light during this very difficult time on things that we haven't handled real well, anxiety and mental health is certainly one of them. So it seems like, you know, things would be set up well for, for a story and, 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 a, and a musical that, that deal with an issue like this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and that's another way that you mentioned Patty Murin. She's been yes. so open about um, her journey through all of that, you know, on social media. And I just... I'm to school with Patty and I just admire her so much for, for how open she is. And it's, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, dabble a little bit at, at that. At, I mean, I have my show, but just at, even on social media, things like that, just being so, so free to, to be honest about our stories. And I, I just don't know that 
that there's a downside to it because we recognize ourselves in each other. And I think it opens the door for people to see someone shining as bright as Patty and to see, oh, that she, she goes through all this too. You know, we're all human. Yeah, and you know, that her, actually her story came to mind when you were, were talking about, about your own, that that is the kind of thing because, you know, the, the public the people kind of the perceptions of their superheroes. I mean, they can get up on stage and sing to, to crowds of thousands and, you know, they're, they're, they're rock solid and, and it doesn't impact them at all. And, you know, I think talking about those kinds of things, whether it's a performer, an athlete, someone who, you know, you kind of put into this category of, of not feeling those things. Uh, it's important to talk about that because as you said, we're, we're all human and that's yeah. part of it. Uh, something else that, that obviously must be important, particularly you mentioned, you know, you went to a kind of a performing arts and arts high school um, kind of setting is music education. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I ask you, you know, if, if I were just to ask you how important is, is music education? What does it mean to you? How would you answer an open-ended question like that? My goodness, I think it's, I think it's vital. I really think it's vital. And it is, it is just as vital to, to an education, to the, uh, the growth of a human being um, as any math, science, English, those are vital and so are the arts. Um, I remember at that high school, but that, um, you know, it had a great arts program, but it wasn't necessarily an arts high school, but the valedictorian was always an arts kid. They were always an orchestra or band or choir. I mean, always for years, my whole family went there. So we always, you know, we always knew and it, our kids are smart. It, 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 helps to, it develops the brain. It helps us become well-rounded people. We watch kids, you know, I was just this morning at a little like sign sing class with my daughter and it's just, that's who kids are. That's, it's totally natural. But then there's a point at which we say, oh, we start separating things and, oh, well, music is over here and arts are over here. And then, you know, learning is over here. But to a, a young child that they're all, it's all of a piece. Um, I, I couldn't separate it if you asked me to. Yeah, well, and, and again, not to, to get thematic with the idea of the pandemic shining light on things that, um, you know, that, that maybe we didn't do so well, but I, I think of, you know, music education in schools and so many kids haven't been in schools. Yeah. So what they've been getting for music education has been some kind of shell of what they got before. And you can debate all day whether or not that was enough. Right, and right. Right. I mean, so that that that's another one of those areas that is there something that that we can learn here and lean into um, how. And so so let's talk about one of the one of the things that that you've also got on your plate right now, which is um, kind of leaning into that education space. Mm-hmm. Um, tell, tell me about what you're what you're working on there. Yeah, so, um, well, it's, it's music education, and it always go, it also goes back to the piece that we were talking about before, actually, about um, performers and people in the public eye, that there's this image of it, you know, that it's, it's glamorous, it's easy, that, that it becomes, if you are at that level, or if you are a performer at all, that those things must um, just come totally naturally to you or be, be easy in any sense, and um, the, so I'm developing a course for uh, greenhouse music, which is a new 
online music conservatory. So many things are online now. And, you know, yes, that, it can totally be debated whether that's for the best, but it, it is. Um, it is with us. And I don't think that's going away. Um, but it's uh, Greenhouse is being founded to uh, make the music education um, accessible and fair to, to all. And um, the course that I'm developing is called The Whole Musician. And it is, it's all the non-musical things about, about music life, the musician's life, the artist's life. So it's a lot of these things that we've been talking about, about how, um, how am I gonna do it? How am I gonna get out of bed? over and over again? Is it just the love that's going to pull me through? But or what are the tools that I can use if, if I have those moments of self doubt or, um, or even depression? What are the things that will carry me through a career? How am I going to deal with nerves and stage fright? And, um, you know, there's all these apocryphal stories about Laurence Olivier was throwing up before all his performances, but then, you know, if, if it doesn't manifest for me as throwing up or if I'm not as famous as Lawrence Olivia, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? And um, what do I do when I'm just procrastinating and I'm supposed to love doing this, but I can't get myself to practice because I'm so resistant to it. And, you know, there's all these, it's all this inner life stuff that um, is kind of intangible and difficult to talk about. And some of it is mental health related, could be anxiety related. and. Um, and some of it's just like, what do I do when the conductor or the director says something to me that is hurtful? And then I have to get up and do it again, but I feel I'm, I'm dealing with what, what's going on inside of me. You know? So there's, there's just so much that goes on in an artist's career that can derail people um, that's, that I think we need to talk about it. We need to create a space to talk about it. And it needs to be okay, um, okay to be honest about, about our experience and to bring it into the conversation, I think at the level of the conservatory or at the level of, of part of education, then it normalizes it so early on. So we don't get five years into career, if we even stay in it for five years, we don't get that far and then go, I'm the only one, you know, we have, we have this epidemic of loneliness of people thinking that we're the only one and we're just not, it's, it's part of it. Yeah. That, that's, there's so much strength in that in knowing, you know what, what you're feeling, chances are there are thousands of others who are feeling the same thing, who are in a very similar position. I like to ask people who are in in a field like yours um, that requires thick skin, that requires that resiliency to, to take criticism um, and, and you know, do something with it and come back. Um, and I like to ask people how you do that, how you get yourself to that place where you, you take the bad critic, you take the director who just hates what you're doing um, and look, I worked in TV for, for almost 20 years. I had to do it too, and I can't answer the question, but I like to ask it anyway. So, so what advice do you give to people who are, who are just getting started and need to find a way to develop that thick skin? Yeah, it's hard for me to call it a thick skin because what makes our art um, meaningful is vulnerability. So, we have to have some way to be as open as, as possible, as open as humanly possible and be totally honest about what we know about life. 
Um, and then when someone says, I would like a different flavor of that to walk away and go, okay, that's okay. You know, so yeah, how do you do it? I think the closest I've come, I don't even know if I do it, but the closest <laughs> I've come to an answer to that is, um, it is a journey of self-knowledge and self-love. And the times that I do what I really wanna do, whether that's in an audition or in a performance or wherever, just talking to somebody, if I, if I go in knowing what I wanna say, knowing what I wanna do, knowing what I can do, and then doing it, it can still hurt to not get the job. Of course, it always hurts to not get the job. It can hurt when if somebody says something about it. But if I know that I did what I wanted, it doesn't matter so much. I think when we're young, as a young artist, it's hard to know. We don't know ourselves that well, and we don't know our capacity, and we don't always know whether we're even doing what we want to do. We 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 do things and they happen and you know i think it takes time to develop that but but when we can go out and know ourselves and and also be ready to pick up our own pieces at the end of it you know then what somebody else says is is kind of more about them i i love that answer i love the idea of vulnerability and and approaching it with that because you're right i mean you can't do what you do without uh, allowing you can't do it well without having that uh, vulnerable approach and you know even even in the business that I was in for for many years there's so much a more of a hey you need to approach this with more empathy than you know just kind of coming in you know guns blazing if you will microphones out and all that kind of thing and I think I think there's a lot but again it, it goes back to as you've been talking about those things that we haven't really wanted to talk about for for a long time and being open to, to talking about that and having those conversations applies to a lot of things, which I think makes it really interesting. Uh, I wanna wrap with the question that I always like to ask people. Um, you know, when you go to Syracuse, you become part of kind of something bigger. You become part of this, this, this great network of you're in the city of, you know, you're in New York, walking down the street, someone's wearing a Syracuse sweatshirt and you've got a friend instantly. Um, what, is, what does it mean to you to be a part of, of the Orange family, to, to be Orange? Mm. Um, the drama department has a, a term that we call about our community in New York, which is the Syracuse Mafia. And, uh, you know, well, <laughs> say what you will about that. But, Newhouse, uh, Newhouse has a similar, uh, <laughs> fact, the same term they use it. So <laughs> we're all parts of our own mafias. <laughs> I think there's, um, there's a real familial um, aspect to I can really only speak about the drama department because that's that's my home. But um, there's such a family, and I think to to what we've been saying about the difficulty of our of this path, um, when we see each other, which you know certainly this year is not as often as we'd like. Um, there's just there's a support there. There's a support there, and there's um, I mean it's like family. You have a shared history, right? You you don't have to talk about it. You all know you were all there. <laughs> So there's sort of a shorthand and even, you know, even just if you want to talk about the winters, like that alone, we're all there. <laughs> right. bond. So yeah, there's, there's something really, there's like a homecoming there to, to know 
what we went through together or just just to know that um, there's an understanding. And I think, I guess that's that's largely what we've been talking about here is there's there an understanding among people. That's really nice to have. Hope you enjoyed that conversation, really an authentic conversation about so many things. You can find out more about Katie by clicking the link in the description, send you to her website. Also learn more about Greenhouse Music where she's teaching that whole musician course. Thanks for listening to the Q's Conversation. Thanks again to Katie for being a part of it today. I'm Chris Velarde. See you next time. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay well, and go orange.